0: On Living a Sex Positive Life, we explore all aspects of human sexuality. We talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures and the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. We strive to be an advocate and an empowering force in the fight for sexual freedom. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and talk about the touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now, here's your host, Angelique Luna. Hey, this is Angelique Luna. Sick and dying, finally have a voice after a, a week of not having a voice. So y- you're hearing me again.
1: She was quiet for like three days. I've never heard that happen before. I know, but that. I'm glad she's back.
0: So John's going to be my translator from now on.
1: Sure. <laughs> keep going. You haven't you haven't given me ten titles like you usually do. So obviously we're off. But keep you, going. Well,
0: it's because of my throat. That's why I got to save it for the interview. We got a good one today. A shameless psychiatry guide to parenting. Come on.
1: It, it is a unique title mm-hmm. and it's coming out next year. And we have Dr. and I, uh, Dr. Leah. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I did that. Uh on here on Skype listening to uh chatting with us and we have we have more topics than we can fit, so I want to go straight into talking with her. Okay, go for it. So put the pressure on <laughs> me Anyway, my welcome.
0: My voice, my voice.
1: So I want to start off right, right off the bat and introduce you. Um, you are a clinical psychiatrist? Mm-hmm. And you're- I'm
2: not a psychologist. The difference is um, about $250,000 in a medical degree.
0: <laughs> and pills, drugs.
1: I think we all have enough student debt, so, <laughs> so we don't need any more of that. But um, next year, you're coming out with a book called The, the Shameless Psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about it.
2: Um, the book is on, uh, sex positive parenting and it's different from other books because it's not just about how to provide sexual education for your children, which is, you know, easy to find lots of resource on that. This is more about owning your sexual story and your sexual history and passing on intergenerational wisdom rather than intergenerational trauma through owning your sexual story and understanding some of the cognitive behavioral concepts that I use in my practice to develop a uh, body positive and sex positive self-esteem. So that's really more what the book is about. So
1: you, you said something that um, I, I really liked or, or question intergenerational trauma. And yeah. when I think of in, in, in something that comes in uh, intergenerational, um, I'm Italian. So of course it's cooking. We cook certain ways and we don't even know why we do it until we watch a cooking show and say, Oh, we don't have to wash the chicken before we cook it, <laughs> but we've done it so often and so long. Um, What kind of stuff do you see coming down that obviously as parents, we pass things on to our child. Um, What kind of trauma do you actually see coming down like that?
2: Um, I think that I see uh, it can be, it can be, you know, obviously setting a child up for sexual abuse and assault by um, not teaching them how to stand up for their boundaries and not to um, prioritize their own safety um, by reckless behavior with drinking. And, you know, so as a parent, if you don't, um, pass down those kinds of like, always stay in a group when you're at a bar never go home alone with someone you don't know, you know, and you behave in a way that puts yourself in danger and you role model that to your child by, you know, bringing a lot of, you know, different partners home that you don't know. And so they see you do that and then, you know, they copy you. So that's like, that's more of an extreme kind of trauma. And that's, that's, um, that's obvious. Right. Um, a lot of sexual abuse um, victims become have children who are victims of of sexual abuse. So that's that's a very obvious um, obvious one. But that's but there is the more subtle um, thing that parents don't even realize that they're doing, which I think is is majority of parents, which is that um, they're in like a loveless relationship for so long and they don't. Um, they they don't have you know a fulfilling and active sex life and so their child only sees you know the parents fighting or not connected intimately not sharing not kissing or loving each other it's so obvious that then they don't develop Um, the skills in their own relationships to have intimacy because they never saw it and they don't know how it's done. Um, It was never role modeled for them. And um, they were never told about to prioritize their own pleasure, right? They just think that sex is something you do to keep, like let's say a girl thinking that sex is something she has to do to keep her um, partner um, around, right. Use it as a a way of getting attention rather than ever really understanding that she has the right to have orgasms or for boys. It's like, you know, um, for boys, you know, trying to, to, um, have, you know, have sex, but not really understanding that they need to, you know, really prioritize their partner's pleasure or even, um, being afraid to get intimate with anybody because they don't want to have a serious relationship. Um, and parents are pushing them to achieve so much to get into a great college. Like, why do you need to have a girlfriend right now? And these some subtle messages of like, don't get serious. And so they never really try out real relationships till they're way older. And by then it's like, they have no idea what they're doing and then their marriages fail. And so it's like, this is what I mean about trauma versus wisdom. And there's the obvious trauma, but then there's this subtle, subtle, trauma and you know the parents just you know through their own um fear don't know how to pass down the right messages so um I always say like it doesn't matter what your story is you could have been very severely traumatized but you have to own that story and you have to come to terms with that story and then you need to very carefully disclose what you need to to pass down the right messages. So, you know, a discussion of whether or not you would want to share that story with your child is an interesting one. Sometimes it can be very useful like, hey, I did get raped in college and, you know, it was a horrible experience and, you know, but now I, you know, I got through it and it was very tough and but, you know, that is something that you really have to think very seriously about sharing because if you don't do it in the right time and the right level of maturity really scares your child Um, but you might pass down a different message if you choose not to share that you might pass down a message of like things were really hard for me at certain points in my life and I learned that you know that I need to like prioritize my own pleasure and and sex is something that I want always take on my terms and I you know I've really learned to you know, watch out for my safety when I'm going out. And so you might want to pass more of that message on rather than the the trauma message. It's, it's, um, you know, and that's very hard to do because most people who have been abused are pretty scared of just talking about anything in general, but then they'll say things like, you know, don't trust any man. And, you know, and then they'll pass down all this, like scaring the crap out of their kid. And that's, that's the trauma I'm talking about. Right. Mm
1: It's not preparing them. It's immediately putting fear on the subject into them. And uh, one of the two things that, that we stress, one is it, uh, we never get any training for relationships. We, we really don't. You try it out. You mimic so much after your parents. And then later on, we end up in therapist office trying to save our marriage. And there's still that stigma around mental health, which thankfully is starting to go away, that you know relationships are not something that you automatically born into knowing how it works. Hollywood has lied to us. It doesn't just fade out and everything works out. You know what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but the other point to that is we're finding so many parents um, are fearful. And not to say it's a comfortable subject, but fearful of talking there to their children about sex because immediately they jump straight into the biology of it. And it's not necessarily, there's a lot more to sex than biology. Uh, I know that your book and your practice is very much based on families and also teaching, uh, uh, you know, I guess age appropriate education, as well as um, you were going over topics like uh, why is it best to have your teens to have sex at home? Tell, tell, tell us a little more about that.
2: Yeah, that was very controversial. And, you know, I, I, I put a blog post on it, and you know, I got a lot of interesting <laughs> feedback. Um, you know, I took a lot of what I, my, my opinions from the Northern European, like the Dutch approach to sexual education, which is a lot uh, more advanced and mature, I think than ours. And, um, um, I think that, you know, to deny that your child is a sexual being once they are hit 15, 14, 15, go through puberty is ostrich syndrome, right? You're just, you're, you're, you know, you brought that up earlier, you're digging your head in the sand and pretending that you know, an incredibly important part of your child's life is not existing. Um, and everything from like, obviously, they're going to start masturbating if they hadn't already. Right. And they're going to, you know, be interested in 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 sex. And, you know, that's when you start to, to feel that, you know, when you see it. Right. You know, when your child starts to, you know, show an interest in sex, it, you know, that's when you have to be incredibly proactive as a parent. You have to say, if you're thinking about having sex, come to me. You know, I want to make sure that you understand how to use contraceptives. I really want to understand, you know, let's have a talk about if you're really ready for it, you know, because obviously, we know, their bodies are ready well before their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. and, um, and 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 so I can give you some of my thoughts around how to know when they're ready um, and then all these things. And then you're going to say, OK, now that I, you're ready and you want to have sex let's find a safe place to do that. And the safest place is in your home. Where are they going to go? They can't rent a hotel room. What are they in to back in the car Find the bleachers at school? Like, I mean, it's just incredibly silly to think that you would not provide a safe and appropriate location for them to have sex. So I always say like, you know, think about that basement that you always wanted to convert, you know, like, or that, you know, area of the house where you can't really hear them. And, and then you need to set, you need to set, um, you need to set rules. Like they're not going to like miss dinner because they're downstairs with their girlfriend or boyfriend having sex. Um, they're not going to stop doing their homework. I mean, they would like to and remember what it was like the first time you had sex. You just wanted to do it eight bazillion times because, so- <laughs> um, you know, which I totally understand. And so obviously you have to mitigate that with like, their, their homework and their needs to, you know, go to their after schools or in their sports and all the other things they're doing. And you, you can set actual rules and say, this is appropriate. This is not, you know, you have to get your homework done, not during a school day. You know, you have to still show up for dinner. You know, you you have to watch out for the other siblings who might hear you. Like it's not appropriate for you to like, you know, be so explicit that you expose your other siblings to things they are not ready for I want to meet the person that you're having sex with. I want them to come into my home and look me in the eye and shake my hand. I want, you know, for them to understand that contraception must be used. I want you to come to me immediately. If anything were to happen, you know, like there was an oops situation, the condom broke, whatever it is, so I can help you, you know? And I think that that is the mature way of parenting. And it's what they do in Northern Europe. I mean, they, they don't have a problem with that. They understand that their 15, 16, 17 year old is having sex. And they're very cool with like the the partner showing up and they all get in the hot tub together and they talk and, you know, they're very, you know, open about it. And I don't see why we, we are not, I don't understand how that helps our children.
1: Well, it's definitely being based on a puritanical uh, uh, society. Um, We definitely see a lot of a change, but as we travel around the country, it really depends on where we are because we've seen places where, Um, Talking about sex is very open and honest and non-shameful and more importantly, not dirty. It's not made to be this dirty thing. You go off on the side and come back. Okay, now you're okay. It's just integrated as a normal part of life, like eating. And we love doing lots of analogies. And we we will tell parents of of, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, they're getting ready to drive. Do they have AAA? Do they know how to change a tire? Do they know how to use a turn signal? You know, going through all the stuff and I'm like, of course, I've taught them. I've trained them. I've done all this other stuff. Great. The worst thing that happens is yes, they could get into an accident or maybe they'll get stranded, but these days they have a cell phone. They have a lifeline. Why wouldn't you prepare them for their sex life? And it's, it's not just the sex. It's, it's the emotional part of it that there is going to be up and down because, um, with, without someone backing you up to say, okay, you made a mistake. Learn from the mistake, move on. So many people take that mistake, and it becomes that permanent trauma almost.
2: Yeah, and when they when they have the mistake, you know, PTSD. If I don't know if you know anything about that, but post traumatic stress disorder uh, really develops when you don't deal with the trauma or when it happens, right? And you push it down, and you kind of don't address it. And then it, you know, comes out the sides. So, you know, if your child feels like if, if they have been abused or assault, they can come to you and talk to you and you can get them, you know, appropriate help and give them a big hug. And, you know, they're much less likely to, to have lasting manifestations of trauma. They're more likely to rebound. It's, 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 um, it's so important that they feel like they have, you, you know, you as parents to come to, you're their greatest protector, right? Um, And to turn your back to them at this critical time of their lives and say, I don't want to talk about it in ostrich syndrome. And it just feels so, it's not right. It's not, it's not the right thing to do as a parent. And um, because you're uncomfortable with it, like get over it. You know, that's what I talk about owning your sexual story. Like you're not uncomfortable to talk to your child about their sex life. Own that. Like, why are you so shamed? You know, what happened to you that you are so shamed that you can't talk about something that's so important to them and to you and something they're going to do for the rest of their lives? You know, and it's high stakes, right? We all know. This is like, yeah. you know, higher stakes than brushing your teeth, right? You
1: know, and to but- repair the teeth, that's just a dollar figure. That's no big <laughs> <Yeah. ugly> deal. <laughs>
0: But that does leave us to a great segue into our commercial break, and we can pick this up after commercials. Because when I come
1: back, I know you have some great stories from your patients that we're going to share, so we'll be back in just a moment.
0: Hey, John, I want to get a new toy.
1: Okay, so let's go to Fairville.
0: But I don't want to waste time trying to find out what goes with what.
1: Well, there's Fairville University, and their staff is very well-educated and helpful.
0: Okay, but how about if I just want to go to a party instead?
1: Then go to their website, because on their calendar, they list all their events.
0: But I don't want to spend a lot of money.
1: Have you heard of their loyalty program?
0: Oh, yeah, that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush every time they see it. That's the one. Let's go.
1: Well, they have over five locations in Central Florida. Which one do you want to go to? Fair Villa for For pleasure, pleasure, fun, fun, and and fantasy. fantasy. Okay, and we're back, and we're talking with Dr. Leah, and she is going to share some stories. Story time. Yes, story time. time Because there's, again, stories are a great way to convey uh, uh, concepts and such, but um, there's so much, um, I won't say bad behavior, but um, I won't say perfect behavior in, in talking about sex. And uh there's a lot of stigma in families, especially there was same sex uh uh families used to have a lot of problems adopting and doing that. And now it's kind of shifted from that, we've we've moved on, and now we're moving to, to, to polyamory mm-hmm. as the new, oh my god, you have more than one uh uh you know husband and boyfriend, and that's become the new well, these people can't possibly be good parents, which we're gonna prove that wrong as well. So tell it
2: well, I, there's so many things I, I want to talk about. Um, I wanted to say that um, this is not all doom and gloom. Teenagers are um, are actually having sex much later than they did uh, 10 years ago. Um, the average age is now 17 for both boys and girls. Um, and... Um, And, uh, from 1991 to 2017, the percentage of high school students had had, have had sex dropped from 54 to 40%. Um, so it's actually the teen pregnancy rates plummeted. So a third of what it used to be. Um, and the number who described their first sexual activity as unwanted has dropped by a third. So these teenagers are getting smarter and more savvy. So we got to give them a lot more credit than we do. Um, which brings me up to a little bit of an interesting topic, which is like, are we actually entering into a sex recession? Actually, in the United States, we're all having less sex. The number has dropped um, from 64 to 54 times a year. Um, and I think that you. Yes. So most Americans, you know, used to have sex 64 times out are only 54. Now we can all. um There's a lot of reasons that are given like, you know, anxiety, having to work more jobs, less free time, um, uh, uh, vibrators, golden age, um, smartphones being overloaded. Um, and the rise of the hookup culture, like meaning you're not in a committed relationship, you're less likely to have sex because you got to go out and find a partner, you know, and that's not easy to do in one night. Right. As opposed to if you're in a more of a steady relationship, you might have more sex. Um, so all of those things are very interesting, but one one I wanted to talk about is actually the rise of pornography. Um, pornography has made it very easy for teenagers to get their kicks without actually having to interact with any human being. And it's very rewarding in the brain. Um, you know, neuro, neuroscience shows us that you get huge dopamine bursts every time a partner switched in pornography. Like you see a new partner, you see a new person. I mean, not partner, you see a new person, you see, you get this like initial dopamine burst. So it's very alluring to, to everyone, but to teenagers. And so this might be part of the reason why um, people are, are not having as much sex or, or delaying their, their sexual initiation. Um, So I want, I'll share one story of a patient. Uh, named Gavin. He was a 16-year-old patient of mine, attractive, athletic, and a good student, an all-American kid. He also watched plenty of pornography beginning at the age of 12. His parents didn't set up any internet filters and gave him space. When he started having sex with his first girlfriend, Valerie, um, at at age 15, the impact of this habit began to manifest. He became very insecure about his penis. His parents didn't walk around naked and his lacrosse teammates did not get fully dressed in the locker room. So the penis he saw were oversized in porn. He also learned that women were very loud when they had sex and they liked to be healthy. When Valerie asked him to use a softer touch, he was confused at first. Wasn't that what women liked. She showed him how to slow down and give her multiple organisms, but Gavin was still very dissatisfied. He longed to be with a big breasted woman that he had conditioned himself to be aroused by porn, not a teen girl with newly developing breasts. He just didn't feel excited by her. Um, Gavin told me that he regretted watching so much porn because it made real sex less desirable than masturbation. We talked about what turned him on and how to evaluate porn scenes as performances. Real sex wouldn't be as loud or acrobatic, The angles wouldn't make everyone look perfect. Um, Gavin still struggled with his identity and sexuality. I have encouraged him to use pictures instead of pornography for arousal during masturbation and focus on a girl's pleasure as best way to connect sexually. He has had a girlfriend since and has put her sexual needs above his own. He has learned to ask questions about what she likes and delay his own orgasm for the sake of hers. These behaviors have given a great self-esteem booster as she, his new girlfriend, has repeatedly told him how good it is and how much she loves the sex. This has resulted in great improvement of his self-esteem, self-image, and his attachments. So that's one story I wanted to share. And um, the pornography thing is very interesting because um, most parents don't address pornography with their, teen- with their teenagers head on and they absolutely need to. Um, so I say to talk about, um, really talk that pornography is actually acting and that the consent really concerns, uh, occurs off screen. Like, you know, you don't see what's going on. You don't just walk up to someone like you was some pornography and start, you know, you know, hitting them on the backside. Um, And that, um, and that also the issues of, um, of, of um, contraception and, you know, STD testing all happens off screen. Um, And that most people's human bodies do not look like the bodies of porn actresses and actors. So they shouldn't be comparing themselves with it and finding that they fall short. Uh, Similar with the whole Instagram phenomenon with girls, always thinking that they're not pretty enough or skinny enough because of all these Instagram photos. Um, And that they really, you should encourage your teenagers to be, uh, discerning viewers of pornography, meaning like there is good pornography and there is pornography. That's clearly upsetting, degrading, like, you know, it's not all the same and you really have to, you can't unsee it. So you really have to think about what, what you like and what you want to see and turn off the other stuff. Um, you know, we could launch into also like making sure that the pornography you're watching is like the actors are being paid fairly and you know, that they're, you know, that's a lot for probably a teenager to really understand. But I do think that, um, that, you know, if it's uncomfortable and you can't unsee it, then just turn it off look at something else. Um, so I think, you know, I think that you should talk about that with your teenagers, obviously before the age, you know, before a certain age, you really want to like lock down their technology. I tell this to parents all the time, like, they should not be watching pornography as a, as you know, a younger child before the age of 15. And like it's your responsibility to make sure that they don't have access to it. And I know that sometimes it happens, but you can monitor it if you're careful and you really um, stay on top of them. So it's your responsibility. Don't just think like, Oh, boys will be boys or, you know, they're going to do what they want to do. No, like you have to be on top of them at all times. Like, you know, private eye and private detective into their lives because this kind of stuff can be very damaging if, if you're not careful as a parent.
1: Well, I know when I grew up, again, we're talking 80s. Obviously, it was a lot of uh, uh, sex on the tube. Not not necessarily um, porn sex, but again, a lot of perfect bodies. And we kind of went through it then. But porn was at least over in the video store, in the back room on VHS. And not so, You know, there was a way to get it, but it wasn't nearly as readily available as it is today. And today, it's to the point where even if they're not looking for it, Even if they're going through Instagram or Twitter with their friends, it can just pop up and turn into that, oh, well, what is this? And click on it and then lead them down this rabbit hole whether they're really looking for it or not. So uh, locking down technology, um, we can't be our parents and say, help us program the VCR. We have to be up on technology because our kids are and know what what to do and how to do it because otherwise you're right. They're going to go ahead and find it. And I was – interesting last year i saw a uh, a little snippet about three minutes from a porn studio where they had porn stars talking to parents saying please talk to your kids about sex please go ahead and don't let them watch porn because we don't want them to learn sex from us we are actors we are not educators
2: yes oh my god i love that Brilliant. Yes, they and they don't they don't want them to see it either because they're they're just not ready to, to hear or see that stuff. Uh, I always say like we gotta try the best we can to preserve their innocence, but at the same time giving them incredibly useful information. In fact, we want them to learn about sex from us, not from porn stars, not from Jimmy on the bus, not from, you know, uh, whatever, you know, whoever it is who's going to educate them, it you know, and then I hear, oh, well, I think they learned about that at school. I'm like, you trust like some gym teacher, you know, to teach about sex? I'm like, what does he know? You know, remember the wonder years where you do that, like, you know, TV show, you know, that. and then i still finding out that they're dividing kids up during sex ed, putting girls in one room yep. and boys in another. And I'm thinking to myself, what, boys don't need to know that girls have periods? Like, I mean, you know, you know, give the boys the information and the girls information. Like, wh- why are you separating them? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, so it, so a, a young boy doesn't even know what a tampon is or that girls have periods. And like, I mean, I feel sorry if they don't know that stuff. You know, it's embarrassing and humiliating to be like a sixteen-year-old kid who knows nothing about how a female body works, or the other way around. Right? Um, I, I think uh, I think our approach is totally wrong and it really should start way younger and it should be ongoing so um,
1: well people think again when we talk about sex ed we're talking biology and the most horrible thing i ever heard was from a friend of mine about my age who said the way her father talked to her, t- taught her about sex because it was a single dad they lived on a farm was to go out he pointed at the cows and say see what they're doing That's sex you're good and i'm like that, that's hysterical and horrible But um, we still see in some parts of the country they're pushing abstinence-only sex ed, which is also unrealistic. Um, Not that long ago, going back 100 years or stuff, 13, 14 years old for a girl was considered the breeding age. And that's when they started having sex to have babies and they were married and guys were not married until they were 18, 20 or a little bit older. Just because it's changed in the last 100 years and we've gotten a lot more equality – you know the, the the biology is still there that they're going through these changes at 13
2: yes and i think um sex and one very small piece is the biology right as you know um i i i think the piece that's missing that i'm going to tell you right now is my book is talking about pleasure um i think that we fail to speak to our children about why we have sex it's not to have a baby we don't have a baby every time we have sex. Um, we, we kind of like miss the, the, the message here, which, and they're not stupid, right? They know it feels good. So, like, people have sex because it feels great and they want to connect with their partner. This is why, this is what you tell your child. You don't tell your child, like, oh, because it's a sperm and a penis and, you know, baby's born. Like, like, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah. Maybe twice in your life you have sex to make a baby. Maybe if you have a big family, it's five times. Like, this is, but hundreds of times over their life, you know well, let, let's be real. Like people have sex because it feels good and they want to connect. And what you want to say is like, mom, you know, if you're in, you know, your, your mom and your, you know, mommy and daddy have sex because it feels really great. And, you know, it allows us to connect and, you know, um, and we love it. You know, if that's the story you want to tell, of course, there's a lot of other stories to tell. And there's a lot of, you know, we can talk about the polyamorous story and how you address that. But like, um, I think that, you know, pleasure, you know, if sex doesn't feel good when you do it, then stop, there's something wrong, you know, listen to, you know, what you're, listen to your, your heart. And, you know, if, if, um, if you feel uncomfortable, if you don't, you know, if you're not actually having pleasure and you can, you know, talk to them about masturbation, it's like, you know, it's okay to you know touch yourself. It feels good. You should, you should know your own body. You should know your body really well before you you even enter into sex because how are you gonna if you can't pleasure yourself if you can't figure out your own biology if you don't get a mirror and look down there how can you ever help anybody else you know pleasure you these are the you can tell this to your child and i think really good especially a father telling this to a daughter as uncomfortable as it might sound father's such a great influence because you know as you know like For a daughter, the father's the first love of your life and your first important intimate relationship. So to have that person say, I want you to have pleasure in your sex life. I want you to listen to your body. I want you to love yourself. Go ahead and masturbate as long as you're alone. Like I want you to really, you know, understand that that's okay. And, you know, that you no matter what that's totally appropriate, but it freaks fathers out. Even me suggesting that they do that
0: just as long as they don't masturbate at the dining room table. I think it's okay.
2: Yeah. That's what I say. I mean, like, as long as you're alone, like, you know, it gets like, you know, I don't understand why a father couldn't send that message or a mother couldn't say, you know, when to their son, like, you know, what you, you know, okay, great. Get the condoms and all that stuff. But I just want you to know, like, you always need to be prioritizing your partner's pleasure above your own and really, you know, both boys and girls like you really need to understand that, like these things take time use a soft and gentle touch. Most most, you know, girls prefer that, like, um, you know, before you do anything that involves, you know, any kind of rough stuff, really make sure you get consent, like, you know, look them in the eye, like every, every at every stage of sex. Get a verbal yes. These are the conversations that, that that mothers should be having with their sons. It's not just like, okay, you know, do you want to have sex? Yes. And that's it. You're done with the consent. Like, no. Like, you know, it's like the consent goes in multiple stages, right? There could be like 10 or 15 different periods of getting consent for every new act, right? And that needs to be explained.
1: Well, I think one of the important things about like, even starting young with talking about it is making the conversation not uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, do
2: you feel comfortable talking to me right now about this? Of course not. Like, would you feel uncomfortable having this conversation with your child that we just had? Uh,
1: yeah. For us, no.
0: Yeah, for us, no. But compared to your mom when you were going away to college, like, here's a box of condoms, use them.
1: Use them, be careful, good luck.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, I get the, tra- the traditional Mexican one. Don't have sex, it's bad. That's it. That was my sex talk.
2: Bad. I mean, I hear this stuff, I laugh, you know. So. You know, scaring, scaring, scaring these kids, um, to death, you know, like, and the funny thing is, like, this absence only stuff is like, there's no difference between the average age of sexual initiation between absence only programs and, and regular, you know, programs, you know, nor, I could say more enlightened sexual education programs. <laughs> it's completely absurd to think that talking about abstinence is going to result in any kind of abstinence. And, uh, and actually teenagers are, are just wiser in general. Like they are waiting. They are more careful because, um, because, you know, the rise of sexual education is getting a lot better overall. So.
0: And that in MTV's reality show, 16 and pregnant, because there was a statistics that showed that when that show was released, um, pregnancies dropped about 15%. And teen pregnancies, because they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we see what all the drama and everything. We're like, no, no, no.
1: But that's still going back to sort of almost a fear-based reaction. And I think in overall, we're trying to get more towards an education, uh, more educated and conscious-based reaction of it. Which, it's great that the internet, as much as it's provided porn and access to stuff we don't want our kids to have... It has provided both uh, access for parents and children to these resources that they normally wouldn't go down to their their priest or their school or, you know, even even their whatever uh, softball buddy and go, hey, I need to talk to my kids about sex. How did you do it? It's usually just even even at the adult level kind of pushed under the carpet. So we're going to take just a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about a new book uh, coming out soon. So we'll be right back.
0: Hey, honey, you know those new toys I wanted to try out? Yes. The ones that you said it's going to cost me way too much money to have? Oh, yes. But I found this new service called Kinkcrate.com.
1: Sounds interesting.
0: And yeah, and for $50 a month, they send you a box of toys that are worth anywhere from $75 to $100. And it's like great starter kit, like, you know, that rope play we wanted to try or your favorite medical play. So... Why don't we just go check it out?
1: I heard if you go to livingasexpositivelife.com's sponsor page, they can get you an additional 33% off.
0: Oh, see, it's such a steal, babe. Come on, 33% off our first box? Please.
1: Okay, so we're back and we're talking with Dr. Leah about a book coming out called The Shameless Psychiatrist Guide to Parenting, which is something uh, just reading the appendix and going through the topics, um, I know I want to read. So tell us about it.
0: I want to know why it's shameless.
2: Um Well, I, I spent a long, it, it was called the new normal um, about, you know, and then I changed the title because I really wanted something catchy. And um, when I first thought of, uh, I met, I met another blogger called the, the angry therapist and he mm. kind of was an interesting guy. And so then I thought that's kind of catchy. What could, what could be my title? And then I thought shameless because I'm trying to teach People to parent without shame and to feel no shame and it's kind of a play on words and and catchy. So that's how I came up with it. So it's, it's, it's a play on words about not having shame, like less shame in, in the way that you approach your sex life. So that's how I came up with it. Um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is the um, is the, the cognitive behavioral and dialectical behavioral therapy piece of the book, which are incredibly wonderful, very evidence based therapies for treatment of a varieties of mental health conditions now applied to sexuality. Um, and in specifically, I have a little exercise in the book about um, a framework to think about what is your sexual history and how do you want. To present that information to your child in a very um, in a very thoughtful way. So, for example, um, you know my family, what I know of their sexual story, you know, and 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 my story with cognitive reframing. Cognitive reframing means um, taking the pieces out that were incredibly negative and spinning them not to be necessarily positive, but to be less. Um, so things like. The expression of affection and sexuality in my family and how do I want to reframe that and think about that now? What do I want to share with my child? Um, my early like what are your early memories of sexual feelings and sexual play? And what do you want to share with your child or monitor with your child? What's your experience, your own experiences with puberty? Like, um, how was it horrifying? You know, what, what do you wish you had known? You know, what you wish your parents had told you? And so, how are you going to like, what are the pearls or the wisdoms? Like, you don't want to be like, puberty is horrible and it's awful. Like, you know, like, you don't want to scare them, but like, what did you wish you had known? You know, um, what did you wish you had known about your sexual orientation from the beginning? Like, what, how did it change? How did it evolve? Like, what do you want to share with, of that process with your child? So let's say, you talked about being bisexual, right? You probably didn't know that when you were 15 or maybe you did and you just couldn't, you know, you didn't have the language or no one explained to you what that even meant. So you were totally confused when you first had those feelings and, you know, you could share a little more of that journey, but, um, you might not want to share every little detail with your child. Again, you have to be careful for intergenerational trauma, but you might want to share some pearls. Like you don't need to figure out if you, want to have sex with boys or girls right now. It's not something you need to know right now. You just need to know what feels good. And you need to like, if it feels good, then you might want to keep pursuing that and keep an open mind because you don't need to know that right now. What you need to know is just, you know, gentle explorations of the world and keep, you know, keep the labeling of yourself for later. Like that's a pearl, a great pearl that you can give your child who, who, who you might, who might be questioning their sexuality or their sexual orientation. Um, and be like, no matter what it is you choose, I'll be there to support you. Don't make up your mind right now. There's no pressure. Don't put any labels on yourself. Just what feels good? That's all what you need to worry about right now. And I think those are great pearls, like, to pass down with the cognitive reframing I was talking about.
1: Well, it, it, it's such a, a more mature and intelligent way to talk. Like, you talk mm-hmm. to an adult um, mm-hmm. in saying, you know, here's the pitfalls. Here, here's, as you said, the pearls, the gems and stuff. Just be careful. It can be a great experience or it can be a bad experience. And, and giving them the tools to make their own decision. Uh, I love the part about not putting pressure on them. Because at fifteen, sixteen, I know half. Half. I was a geek. I know that computer geek the whole bit. So it, it became a race between me and my friends. Of oh my god, we're never going to find the girlfriend. And you don't think at sixteen, you know, I'm I'm just starting my life. You think oh my god, everything's happening now.
0: Yeah, but you're also not taught to enjoy it and be pleasured with it. You know, you're you're thought, taught to yeah. what's the end goal? I'm just going to come. But you don't enjoy the journey. You're just like zoom. That's yes. it you know, how quickly it, it is. You,
2: you might, you might've been a geek. You're not a geek now, but imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's <you>. a dipper. it <laughs> <laughs> would have been if your mom had that, you'd been like, forget about what, you, you know, your, your, you know, forget about like just having sex. Like, enjoy each moment, enjoy, you know, the, the fondling, enjoy the, you know, enjoy the whole thing from soup to nuts and take your time and marinate in each step and experience and like really, you know, make that person you're with feel amazing. And through that, making them feel amazing. Trust me, you will feel amazing. Like it would have been great if like my mother had to, you know, told me that, or, you know, my father and, uh, you know, because it took me so long to figure that out. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. And, um, you know, it's amazing how many women, you know, you read the stats, like don't have orgasms or don't experience pleasure because, you know, they were never told that that was okay, you know, and now they're going back and doing that. But like, God, like I don't want that my child, my child or any ch- child that I treat, you know, having that experience. So I say, I always tell every kid that I'm, I walks into my office I you know, I ask them their sexual history and I always say, if they've done the crime, they can do the time. So meaning if they've had sex, we're going to go there, we're going to talk about, you know orgasms we're going to talk about their masturbation we're going to talk about what their partner does or doesn't do what they want and you know by the end they're kind of looking at me wide-eyed like no adult has ever talked to me about this before like i cannot believe we're talking about this and i'm like why not why hasn't your parents ever told you about this stuff so you know that's the the cognitive (sighs) frame and i also talk in my book about Um, re a cognitive reframing, which means to, to kind of develop a new perspective on old information in your mind, um, uh, uh, about your body. So it's like, you know, developing body positive self-esteem. So I go through every peak down with my patients from the top of their head to the bottom of their toes, and I make them describe their body, every, every little bit of it. And I get so much stuff, crooked teeth, bad skin, acne, my hair is stringy, it's frizzy. I have, you know, a bubbly stomach. And I'm like, they go down from there. They haven't said one good thing about themselves, not one thing. And I'm thinking to myself, how does that happen? Like, you're beautiful. So then we use the cognitive reframing tool in the book to be like, okay, you know, my, you know, you know, I have uh, white teeth, I have a nice smile, I have eyes that are, you know, I have, I have bright eyes, I have you know, I have skin, which protects me from the sun. I have, you know, a stomach, which, you know, I am extremely strong. I can do f- 94 pull-ups. I, you know, I can dance I'm, you know, my legs, my muscular legs allow me to dance. Like, and we just go through and we change the whole story. And they're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Oh, my breasts are too small. I'm like, yeah, but your breasts are going to allow you to have, you know, to nurse a baby someday. It doesn't matter what size they are. So you have these, inc- these incredible, you know, breasts that are going to allow you to to have a child like your hips are too wide. Yeah, that's so you can someday push out a baby and like how amazing that your body allows you to do these things and allows you to play sports and dance and you're healthy and you never get sick. And So by the end, they're like, wow, OK, maybe I'm not so bad. <laughs> Parents can do the exact same thing. You know, this is not just for, for me to do in my practice.
0: Right. But I think we also have to do it to the parents so they can continue to do it as a child. It's like it's always when we teach our class or, you know, they say, oh, how about if I pay you to teach our, our kids? I'm like, no, we'll be more than happy to help you. So that way you could continue to be the resource, not us. You know, we could take all your money, but that's not ethical.
2: <laughs> True. Yeah. They have to do the hard work on themselves. I agree, and well, and the, the most is
1: they should want to do the hard work because they're the ones who want to look like a hero. I don't want to go ahead and work with with with, with uh, someone's child and have them say for the next few years, "Oh man, they had such great wisdom." Uh, I want them to go ahead and look at their parents because they're going to be in their lives the rest of their lives and be like, "Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad, for doing this for me because it is such a great gift." I agree. I agree.
2: Um, and you wanted to speak a little bit about, um, the, um, alternative family structures. I think that, um, the advice I give parents who are, uh, living, you know, maybe polyamorous or, um, is, you know, or an alternative sex practices or whatever, obviously, you know, before the age of, you know, 15 or whatever. I don't think that exposing children to parent sex lives in a, in a more exposing children to eroticism is really never appropriate. That's what I say. Like if, you know, Mm -hmm. it's never appropriate. So obviously you want to lock up your toys, you know, keep those things hidden, you know, put on the music, whatever you have to do to like, keep them, you know, from hearing you, there will be times where they'll, by mistake, walk in or whatever and see things. And I don't think it's helpful to say we were wrestling or doing yoga or like whatever lies you might tell, because that's even more confusing. They're going to, you know, someday, you
0: might do yoga.
2: Um, oh, we just so,
0: tied up her stuffed animal. It's okay.
2: <laughs> you know, so if it were to happen, I just say, just say, okay, go back to your room. You know, obviously, you know, stop doing whatever you're doing. And then like, you know, come into their room and say, you know, we were having sex It's something that adults do when they want to, you know, give each other pleasure. And, you know, it's sorry that you have to walk in in it, but I really do want you to respect my privacy and knock before you come in my bedroom next time. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, don't lie and be like, yeah, we were, you know, wrestling. But, um, as far as how to, you know, explain polyamory to children, if you're, if you're bringing the partners into the home and exposing them to the partners, you know, I always say it's like, you have to decide what kind of family you want to be. So I call it like blender families, banner families, and chameleon families. You know, blender families, they just try to blend. They don't want anybody to know. They don't want their kids to know, you know, and they just shut it down and hide. Um, that often can be problematic because kids aren't stupid. <laughs> but, you know, um, and then there's banner families. Some families are openly, you know, polyamorous and they come out to everybody including their kids the community like they may live in san francisco a very accepting place right and they're just out with it and i think that's incredibly empowering and good for them i think um it's quite hard in certain areas of the country and um may result in in you know the ostracization of the the child in, in certain areas so i think more power to you if that's the way you want to go with it um I think um, most families are blender, like they're out to some people and they're not out to others and um, that the children probably may know. Um, and I think it's best if if that's the approach you want to take as a family, that you really start explaining to them very young before they develop the stigmas themselves, before they even realize that it's weird. Um, And, you know, just say, you know, mommy and daddy love each other, but we also love other people. And, um, you know, we, you know, we express our love through sex and, you know, this is, this is like something we chose to do. It doesn't mean anything that, you know, you don't need to know too much about it, but I just want you to know, like, you know, that we love you just the same. We'll always be your parents. No one's going to ever replace us. And, you know, and then, you know, you, you, you introduce whoever it is, you know, new relationships. Sometimes there's triads and there's all different kinds of you know, uh, relationships out there now. And, you know, then you can leave it up. I really say like, as they become a teenager, if it's been very normalized, you can really leave it up to the child to decide who they want to disclose it to and under what circumstances. So, um, I, have interviewed, uh, families who, um, like a same sex triad, um, where, um, they all live together. They were very open And the the child had a new play date over and she was 15 and she was like, I don't want you to say anything because this is a new friend and I don't know how they're going to react. And at first, the parents were really taken aback, like, but this is who we are. But they they then understood, like reflected on it and said, this is a tough period of her development. I'm not going to push this issue. I'm going to we're going to pretend she's just a friend. And, you know, it really gave this child a feeling of like, OK, I have control. This is not my parents like completely like making me feel like I have no control. So I think that the discussions in the blender family, it should really be an ongoing discussion and it should be very carefully um, thought through. And it's just like, you know, and it can change like you can be out in one area of your community and not in another. And that's okay. You don't have to be ashamed of that. That's a great choice to make, you know, like maybe you don't want to say anything at work or maybe you don't want this parents of, you know, your child's school to know like, and that's absolutely okay. Like what, and we're, you know, you have to understand your community. I just think there should be some thought put into it and, you know, really a framework.
1: Agreed. So. Um, one observation I've made in working with, um, Uh, children in polyamorous families is that when they're kind of introduced that or brought into the concept that (laughs) their mother or their father uh, is also, you know, there's this third person that's, that's there with them, their brain goes to, so I have another person to take me for ice cream and to go to the movies with and to pick me up from school and do this. It's the adult mind that when I find people who are not familiar with polyamory and the moment you say that, their immediate thing goes to, well, how does the sex work? Because that, that, it, it's just the adult mind goes to a different place as the kids. The kids are not really thinking of sex. So when you tell an adult that we're going to tell a kid about, uh, about polyamory, they're like, oh, well, you know, how are they going to deal with the sex? And it's like, they're, they're kids. They shouldn't be dealing with the sex portion of it.
0: No, no they're dealing yeah. about the presence and the bribery. And it's like, hey, how much emotions. more? It is, yeah, I get. It.
2: Um, and that's another great topic. It's polyamorous or step parents. It's very similar, right? To have another parent around is awesome. You know, um, having a third parent, it's great. If the third parent loves your child, then you are so blessed. You know, um, and this idea that the other parent's going to compete—it's—it's it's silly. There's no competition. More love for a child is more love. Bring it on. Like, you know, that, you know, so they have a third parent. Yeah, wonderful. That third parent has wisdom. That third parent has time. That third parent's going to cook to them, buy them presents. It's all upside to kids, you know. Um, and I think to just think of it like that and, and not be afraid to be like, you know, to empower that third parent to do what they do best. Um, whatever that might be. Do they play baseball? Do they, do they love to cook? Like empower that parent to share their best with their, your child and your child will benefit.
1: Wonderful. So, so let me ask you, um, how can our listeners reach you if they want to get a little more information about this in your book?
2: Well, um, my Instagram's at shameless psychiatrist and my, um, my website's shameless psychiatrist. So it's very easy to find me and, you know, interact And, um, and, um, I love to also have people sign up for my newsletter, which is on my website because every month I send out an awesome newsletter with great information. So
1: wonderful. And, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and, uh, we're looking forward to the release of your book. You said it'll be out mid next year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, the, uh, Google and everyone's made the publishing process so hard, (laughs) but We'll look forward to it again. But thank you very much for coming on.
2: Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy what you heard, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave feedback, as this would mean a lot to us. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at livingasexpositivelife.com. We appreciate you giving us this opportunity to entertain and educate you, and hope you enjoy the experience. We'll see you next time.